Welcome to The Bone Beat, conversations on health policy issues affecting musculoskeletal care and supporting advocacy efforts to advance access and quality. Brought to you by the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Here's your host, Kristen Coltis. Thanks for joining this October episode of The Bone Beat Advocacy Podcast. When this airs at the end of the month, we will be days away from the November 3rd general election. And there's a lot at stake for the physician community. Not only because of the public health crisis we are still enduring with the novel coronavirus pandemic, but also because of the big changes ahead with all that is being proposed by Medicare for the physician fee schedule and outpatient settings, just to name a few. So that's why we're dedicating this episode to the upcoming election as part of the Orthopedic PAC's Get Out the Vote campaign. And we have brought on two great guests who are going to shed light on the importance of orthopedic surgeons showing up to the polls on November 3rd and participating in civic engagement year-round. First, we have Dr. Douglas Lundy, who is a trauma surgeon with Resurgence Orthopedics in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Lundy is also a member of the Orthopedic PAC Executive Committee and is the incoming Advocacy Council Chair. Welcome, Dr. Lundy. Glad to have you on. Thank you very much, Kristen. It's a pleasure to be with y'all. Our second guest may be a familiar name for those who have been following the Orthopedic PAC's endorsement of candidates this year, and that is Dr. Newt Bueller. He is a hip and knee surgeon from Oregon, and importantly for this episode, a former candidate for the U.S. House for Oregon's 2nd Congressional District. Thanks for being here, Dr. Bueller. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Kristen. Before we get into our topic and the 2020 election, Dr. Bueller, why don't you tell us why you first got involved in politics after a career in orthopedic surgery and what you've learned on the other side of policymaking? Well, Kristen, I blame my involvement in electoral politics on my wife. Uh, she, she said uh, one day, either you have to quit complaining about things or you need to stand up and do something about it. And uh, I'm not very good at keeping my mouth shut, so uh, I uh, ran for the Oregon House of Representatives in 2014 and was uh, fortunately successful and uh, ran again for re-election in 16. Uh, And, you know, overall, that was a wonderful experience. I I learned a lot. Uh, You know, one important take-home lesson is I have a lot more respect for anyone who would run for any electoral office uh, no matter if it's uh, you know a local city council or, or governor after having done it myself. Uh, and then in 2018, uh, after that experience in the Oregon legislature, I ran for, uh, uh, to be Oregon's next governor and lost a close uh, gubernatorial race in, in 2018. Well, like I said, the orthopedic PAC was proud to endorse you for Congress this year, given your leadership within the state of Oregon and as a business owner. And I like that you said you wanted to stand up and do something about the issues you were facing in your practice. Of course, there are many ways to become active in shaping healthcare policy, and I know we're going to get into that in a bit, but I want to turn now to the election that is top of mind for everyone. Uh, Dr. Lundy, as a leader of the orthopedic pack, supporting candidates like Dr. Bueller is something you do all year long with the hope, of course, that they'll be elected and eventually champion orthopedic issues. From your perspective, what is at stake for for physicians and their patients in this election? Thanks, Kristen. Uh, It doesn't take much for anybody to see if you listen to the ads on TV, which I think we're all pretty much tired of by now, 
or if you listen to any of the news stations and the issues that they are bringing up or the debates between the candidates, it's very clear that healthcare is, if not the leading issue, it is among the top two to three across the country. The fate of the ACA, what's going to happen in the future with any of the quality programs, quality metrics, access to healthcare, all these things are incredibly important. The finance of healthcare, and much of the public will look to us as experts in this. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons um, specifically pushes forward policy and policy issues themselves. I've talked with a lot of our members on both sides of the spectrum, from the far right to the far left, and many times they'll say, I just couldn't support candidate so-and-so. And as I remind them over and over, it's not about our personal agendas. I've met with many congressional members on both sides of the aisle, and it's always about access for our patients, uh, quality for our patients. It's always our patients that are the lead and the, the ability for us to practice our profession without the encumbrance of unnecessary regulations and such as that. And so when we explain it, we frame it in that category, we're pretty much above the fray. And it's very, very important for orthopedic surgeons specifically and our, to encourage our staffs as well to go out and vote. Um, we would never tell anybody how to vote. We can support people who are our candidates that or our members of Congress or the Senate that have consistently supported our our policies and the things that we're interested in. However, it's very important for our voice to be heard across the spectrum. We should get out and vote, and we should also encourage our staffs and our family to vote as well. Yeah, it really is about being heard and having the opportunity to elect leaders who like you said, will help us advance access and quality from the musculoskeletal community. But what's interesting and, and counterproductive to that goal is that physicians have lower turnout rates than some of the other higher educated professionals and even the general public. According to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, they're at 45% compared to 55% of the general public and 65% of other higher educated professionals such as lawyers. So this question is for both of you. Why do you think that is? And how are you feeling about our orthopedic members getting to the polls this year? And what is considered a very polarized and divisive political climate? Well, maybe I'll, I'll take that, uh, Kristen. Uh, you know, I, I agree with Doug that you know, being focused on the concerns of our patients is enormously important. Uh, and insightful, I think, in terms of these uh, electoral debates. You know, we're literally in the trenches in our healthcare system. I think there's a lot to add uh, to the debate from the orthopedic perspective because we are uh, dealing with it every day in terms of the, the challenges to the healthcare system. Uh, but in terms of the orthopedic surgeons also themselves, is you have to keep in mind that we are involved in one of the most highly regulated industries in the entire nation. So getting involved in voting is really the first step to, to influencing that regulatory environment. And I think the low voter turnout from orthopedic surgeons is unfortunate, but uh, to a certain extent understandable in the sense that these are, our colleagues are very, very busy people. And unfortunately in too many states, it's uh, not very convenient to, to vote, uh, but it is uh, the first uh, and important step in engagement in our electoral process. 
You know, Kristen, I've, I've considered this at length because, uh, like Dr. Bueller said, it's really kind of bewildering to a degree. Um, I agree 100% it's because of the excessive busyness and all the issues that are facing orthopedic surgeons. You just have to turn the news on to see the long lines at the different polling sites and realize I do not have time for that today. I've got way too much to do. And then before you know it, all the early voting's gone. It's November 3rd. You can't make it over there. And the next thing you know, it's over. Uh, however, we I don't let my partners off that easy. I uh, Up until very recently, I was president of Resurgence, which is one of the largest companies, orthopedic practices in America. And what I would routinely do is find all of the uh, voting for each of the counties that our doctors lived in, and then also make sure that everybody had access to the um, absentee ballot website to make sure that they could get through from there. Because as you said, if you really look across the country, the higher educated uh, citizens across the United States tend to have higher voting percentages uh, and it goes down as education decreases. So we're a bit of an anomaly on that and that's not okay and it's not acceptable. And we need to make sure that our members get out and vote. And not only that, but encourage everybody around them to do the same as well. Yeah, Kristen, Dr. makes a great point. You know, it is difficult to get to the polls uh, sometimes, but almost every state that I uh, am aware of has absentee voting. And fortunately, more and more states have vote by mail. Uh, Oregon is an entirely vote by mail state, so there's really no excuse for anyone in Oregon not to vote. You have two weeks to do it. You can do it from home. And, and fortunately, uh, approaching 90% of registered voters in Oregon do vote. So that absentee mail-in option is uh, is really, really uh, helpful and convenient. You know, Newt, Newt, I'm glad you brought that up because, and, and, you're, and Oregon is actually the state that I've always thought of about that because at least down here in the South, you hear the conspiracy theories that mail-in ballots don't count. And I've been told you know, I've told my staff in the OR and my staff in the office, yeah, I've, I've already voted. I've voted um, by absentee ballot. I already mailed it in. They go, well, I sure hope it counts because, you know. But then when you look at Oregon, it's all that way. So what's your opinion of the validity of the mail-in ballot system since that's all y'all do over there? Yeah, so it, it's been impressive in uh uh, in in process here since 1998, uh, the father of it was uh, a former Secretary of State in Oregon named Phil Keasley, who happens to be a good personal friend of mine. So I've had many discussions with Phil over the years. Uh, and, you know, at first it was a hard sale in Oregon. Uh, you know, both Democrats and Republicans didn't want vote by mail. In fact, the sitting governor at the time who was a Democrat, didn't want vote by mail. Uh, but uh, it, he persisted and got it passed, and it's been enormously successful. That doesn't mean there hasn't been some hiccups along the way, but uh, essentially no fraud or very limited fraud. And over you know two decades of experience, uh, the state election offices have fine-tuned it, so it's very convenient. Uh, you know, our citizens know how to do it. And like I say, we're anticipating almost a 90% uh, voter participation rate in this upcoming election. That's definitely one positive that has come out of COVID-19. Uh, there, there are more ways to vote than ever before. Um, so hopefully our members can rule out logistical challenges this year. Uh, but the other thing that we hear from people is that they're just feeling discouraged, like there aren't enough platforms that our members can get behind 
So Dr. Lundy, as someone who will be working with the Office of Government Relations and the Advocacy Council next year to set our unified advocacy agenda, what do you think are some of those issues that our members can agree on and get behind? So many of the issues that we all can pretty much agree on are access issues. That's certainly one of the largest things that come up in front of healthcare across the entire panel. Depending on, we always have to be aware that there are members in our academy and in our association that are at far extremes of the political spectrum. So the AOS does not come down hard saying this, that, or the other thing and risk losing the voice of significant of our members there. So one of the things that I talked with the presidential line when I was being interviewed to be the new Council on Advocacy Chair is two things specifically. One is we need to represent the entire spectrum of orthopedic surgery because there's such wide variety in the beliefs and the political leanings of our fellows. And the second thing is the incredible regulatory pressure that's on our physicians just across the spectrum. And it's not just specific to orthopedic surgeons. So one of the big things, if you really go out and talk to orthopedic surgeons across the country and you ask them what their main issues are, much of it has nothing to do. Now, they may blame the ACA, they may blame MACRA, but in the end of the day, what they're really talking about is the significant burden of regulatory issues, of paperwork, of the FTEs that they have to hire in order to accomplish all this just to do their jobs. And so we're going to put a significant amount of pressure on the government trying to point out the ridiculous areas of regulatory um, issues and make sure that there our voices are heard. So hopefully we can roll back some of these things and make the practice of surgery much more uh, palatable and much more uh, favorable for our members. What about you, Dr. Bueller? I know that some of the issues uh, that our members care about are, are ones that you talked about in 2020 or have been a part of your entire political career as a physician uh, policymaker. Well, during my congressional campaign in 2020, surprise medical billing issue was uh, really uh, one of the prominent issues that I heard from uh, orthopedic surgeons and all medical specialties. It's an issue I dealt with in the Oregon legislature, and it's where uh, the value of having uh, medical providers involved uh, as uh, elected representatives and also as part of the conversation on these complex issues is so important. Some of the proposals with regards to that, that issue, for example, would put uh, medical providers at a, at a really significant disadvantage in uh, negotiating rates with insurance companies if the regulatory structure is not uh, uh, handled in the right way. And it, it's hard for a, you know, a typical elected representative to put all those factors together and craft good legislation. And that's where it takes the input of people like Dr. Lundy and the AOS to really explain uh, what's at stake here in a very uh, complex you know, kind of billing system arrangement. You're absolutely right. Surprise billing is an issue that the AAOS has been working on for years, even before it became a priority issue for Congress in 2019. And it's hard to believe we're still working on it, but we're hearing that it's going to be coming up again very soon. And we'll continue to advocate for a balanced solution that incentivizes both physicians and insurers to contract and avoids government rate setting. Uh, by providing a fair, independent dispute resolution process. But I want to finish our conversation uh, with talking about how orthopedic surgeons can be politically active 
in shaping healthcare year round, not just by voting on November 3rd. So Dr. Lundy, uh, why don't you answer that one? Where can our surgeons begin? What can they do? Yeah, thanks, Kristen. There's a multitude of, of methods to do this. One of the best ways many times is through your state orthopedic society. Most of the societies are extensively involved in local advocacy efforts, and that's a great way to start. Uh, a lot of times our members say, you know, they want to go straight up to Congress the first day and start talking to people on the Senate. There's only 100 of those folks, okay? And so they're really hard to get in front of, and many times it's better to refine your message and your technique and your ability to talk to these people when you meet people at the local level. And those are the folks that turn into senators and congressmen anyway. So it's always important to start there and with the state societies and such doing like that. The Academy offers or the association offers many different opportunities. One very good program that we have is the advisor circle that our group is involved in. And through that, we can get a lot of extensive exposure through the uh, different associations, through, uh, for instance, the Governor's Association and the Senatorial uh, Associations and stuff. And we really have a good opportunity to spend time meeting with different members. And one of the most important programs that we have is the Congressional Ambassadors Program. Many of our members are particularly assigned to a specific member and get to know that person individually. And many times you can become the go-to person for healthcare policy for that member of Congress. Uh, that's been my experience for many years. I, At first, it seems difficult to get in and develop that relationship. But after it's done, it's often surprising, but you'll get a phone call from their staff or from the member itself saying, hey, listen, this is coming up. I want to know your two cents worth on it. And it's really pretty amazing when a member of Congress calls you for that specifically and asks you that. We all have certain stories that we've had over the years of surprising phone calls from member of Congress they come in and ask us certain things, and we're actually able to influence legislation and regulatory affairs going forward. But the only way that comes up is through the development of relationships. You just can't go to Congress one time, go to a single fundraiser and meet your, your member of Congress and expect that to be the end of it. So what I would, I would encourage people to do is start at the local level, start with your state society, start to move along, look on the AOS webpage for different opportunities and ways to your exposure from there, become a congressional ambassador. And before long, you'll be the National Orthopedic Leadership Conference and being able to talk with members of Congress there with the rest of us. And I started my political involvement in Oregon uh, in the you know, state uh, uh, society. Uh, eventually became president of the uh, AOS uh, in, in Oregon, and that was my introduction to Oregon politics. And it's a wonderful training ground in terms of learning the legislative process, getting exposed to some campaigns and making the necessary uh, contacts. And then, you know, as you feel more comfortable with that, uh, move up into, you know, being involved in these uh, congressional, with the congressional candidates. And uh, during my run for governor, I, you know, met several of my orthopedic colleagues who uh, would attend, you know, the Republican and Democratic Governors Association, where, you know, that's a the incredible opportunity to meet people who will be our nation's next governors. 
Clearly, there are many ways for members to get involved in advocacy. It's not just limited to one or one direction, um, but our members can learn more about these opportunities at aaos.org advocacy. We've got a Get Involved page there, and I'd also encourage members to check out uh, previous podcast episodes where we talk about the orthopedic pack, uh, how the Office of Government Relations works, and even in August, we did an episode on uh, grassroots advocacy uh, with Vice President Dr. Danny Guy. But one last question I want to, and I know I keep harping on this, but I want your answers here. How can we unify together after the election and, and work together on behalf of the musculoskeletal community? Well, I think that the Academy has done an incredible job of becoming uh you know, the point of contact for, uh, for political involvement for orthopedic surgeons. Uh, you know, I, my run for Congress, I was uh, introduced to a number of, uh, of uh, specialty government uh, affairs departments, and AOS by far is the most respected and, and one of the most active on, on Capitol Hill. So, uh, you know, my hat's off to you all in the job you're doing. It can't always get better, yeah, uh, but uh, it is a really great structure right now to utilize the resources and expertise of, of the academy. Oh, well, thank you, Dr. Bueller. Uh, I'm going to let uh, Dr. Lundy have the last word on this. Uh, given that he is transitioning from the orthopedic pack, the second largest physician pack in the U.S., the only pack representing orthos in D.C., and is moving into a leadership position uh, on our advocacy council, as I said. Dr. Lundy, what do you want to leave listeners with? As you said, our PAC is extremely well-respected in D.C. It's really amazing. I've been to many events such as the MAD PAC, which is the uh, coalition of all the mental and medical and dental PACs, uh, and we are, we're at the top of the game there. And a lot of the other PACs look to us in leadership because of the, the incredible staff that we have and just the, the size of our pack, the, the generosity of our members to give to the pack and understand what it's all about. As you said before, the divisiveness of this election is pretty overwhelming. It's easy to get discouraged by listening to the bitterness on both sides of the aisle and how is this ever going to go forward. But, you know, it's kind of funny. If you look back in history, this this comes up. This is not the first time that the country's been like this. It's actually been far worse than this many times before. And this will all settle down and work out. And so either way, and it really doesn't matter which way the election goes, we are poised and ready to advocate for our patients and for our members right out of the gates as soon as the new Congress and uh, takes its seat in um, January, we're going to be ready to go and ready to do what we've got to do. And you look at our contributions from our PAC, it's divided both red and blue. So we're not an all Republican PAC, as many people may accuse us of being. We cover both sides of the aisle to the people who are sympathetic to our issues. And so we will continue to advocate. We're very optimistic about what we're going to be able to do. We, we never look at it as all lemons. We say, that's fine. We'll make lemonade. We're going to move forward. We're going to do the good work and make sure that our members' voices are heard, our patients are taken care of, and that the health care of the country improves. Well, you said it well there. Uh, we also like to say that you can't spell orthopedics 
without an R, D, or I. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation with you both. Um, if our members are looking for more state-by-state -state election resources, they can find those at aaos.org slash PAC. Uh, it, it covers voting deadlines, procedures. We'd also, um, we also want to tease the election recap that we will be providing our members in the coming weeks following the election. Uh, again, like I said, this has been a really great conversation. It was great hearing your different perspectives. Thank you for being here. I know we'll be talking again very soon on the other side of the election. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bone Beat from the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal care, please visit aaos.org slash advocacy.